All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Sportsbook Radio from the Brian Blessing Studio in Las Vegas. Brought to you by Station Casinos and the mighty STN app. Welcome to the controls, Chris Moose Johnson. I'm Dana Lane. Thanks for joining us. Chris, what do you think about uh, Kyle Rudolph joining Tampa Bay and he's going to be uh, a bookend tight end for Tom Brady? It's okay. I, I think it's a good fit for them because it's just, you know, it's another tight end for Brady. He needs one. He just lost Gronk. But Kyle Rudolph is kind of on the back end of his career as well. So I think it's more like a one-year, two-year rental for him. It should be interesting. We'll see how he plays. I mean, he if it's if he can show up like he did before with the Vikings and play good with the actual elite quarterback this time, it'll be interesting to see how Tampa Bay handles it. And that's exactly what they're going to do. I mean, it's Gronk retires, Kyle Rudolph comes in, and he's going to be uh, another weapon. And it's just a one-year deal, and I think he's going to be absolutely fantastic. I've watched Kyle Rudolph since you know since since college, and I, I've always thought he was a terrific tight end. And I think that's going to be uh, an outstanding weapon for um, Tom Brady, of course. And then yesterday, first day of veterans to show up at Raiders camp right off the bat, NFL.com said that Darren Waller and Denzel Perryman are looking to get new deals. I, I don't blame them in this case, honestly. I, I don't love, and, and maybe I just don't understand that world, but I, I when I say something, like when I sign something and I say, okay, I'm going to do this for X amount of time. I, my general thought is I'm going to fulfill this. And, and it's not necessarily pertaining to this because if I'm Waller, um, if I'm Perryman, I I certainly am looking for a new deal. They're at the end of their, uh, at their current deals. Mm -hmm. Darren Waller's the 17th highest paid tight end in the league. That's the third best tight end. So in the you league. know that yeah. you know he's the, he is getting underpaid for sure. But there are times, I mean, even in hockey, where there are team friendly deals, and you know the guys are okay with that. And I just wonder, you know, you see so many times where, you know, guys are playing, outplaying their contracts, and are they are on a team friendly deal for sure. Well, what happens if they don't play well? It, it doesn't go both ways. I am you. You say the NBA, but I. I thought today, man, what sport do players have more leverage than the NFL? It really doesn't even matter how far they are into the deal, as long as they're like a couple of years into the deal and they have these fantastic seasons and they walk around saying, "I deserve more money." And I'm, again, not in this case because this yeah. is true, but that happens in this league a lot. Oh yeah, it does. But I mean, at the same time, like when you think about players having leverage over organizations all i can think about is kyrie irving ben simmons james harden kevin durant who just go i don't want to play here anymore i won't play on this contract but now that the new ben simmons rule they have to play underneath the contract so it's like at least that's changed it a little bit but before the ben simmons rule there was you had people just going i don't want to play here i'm not going to play here you're going to trade me and that's what's going to happen john wall who Negotiated to not play. <laughs> yeah, he he he's, That's a great he got deal. he got a steal That's in that a deal. Second best deal next to Bobby Bonilla. Oh yeah, but uh, I think I think when it comes down to it, I look at the NFL and like, look, their their lifespan of being able to make money in that league is so small. It's like, especially a tight end and linebacker, I'm more willing to hear a tight end that's two years out of a contract go, mm-hmm. I want to make my money now. 
because that's all he can. Like, he doesn't know if he might get hit over the middle this next year and get a concussion. He wants to guarantee his money. So I, I understand him being like, I'm risking my life to do this because the tight end and linebackers are more popping with the head. So I would I would be interested to see what happens with that. But who knows? I mean, it's, I think Darren Waller deserves to get paid, especially where he's at in the league. I think Denzel Perryman, after a Pro Bowl season, deserves to be in the league. No, there's no paid. doubt about it. So anyway, um, of course, Perryman last year played his first season with the Raiders. He was a Pro Bowl, as you said, made the Pro Bowl, as you said, and came in with a trade after a trade with Carolina. And there's, I don't have a problem with this at all. They both need to get paid. And and for both players, they were essential to the Raiders' success last year. Uh, I've always been a guy, like I said, I, I thought you should honor your deal or at least get within a year of your deal. And there's no guarantees in this league. So I understand I understand it from that standpoint. But there are some guys that just have, you know, they think they have had career, they've had career years, but certainly not to the point where they should get paid what they think that they're worth. And then they hold the team hostage. They walk into camp. They have two years remaining on their deal and say, I'm not going to play without a new deal. That's where I start having an issue. But in both of these cases, I think they should both be paid, and I think they should both be paid right now. Uh, Waller is the eighth highest tight end, uh, or eighth highest player on the team uh, to be paid, or paid player on the team. He's certainly not the eighth most valuable player on this team. He makes significantly less than Devontae Adams. He makes less, obviously, than Derek Carr and Hunter Renfro. 17th highest paid tight end in the league. You know, this is a guy that needs to be in that 12 to 14 million range. Yeah, that's what he deserves to be, and that's where he is. Mm -hmm. And without him, I think the Raiders are going to have would have problems, a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. And we saw without him, they did have a lot of problems. Okay, let's bring in our. All right, actually, let's go to show rundown real quick before I bring in our first guest. Ryan Butler from Butler Bets will be on. He'll discuss uh, all sorts of, of gaming information uh, about the world of gaming across the country. It's always great to have on. Uh, and then, of course, Jamison Coyle from NHL Network will also join us in that second, the second half of the second hour. And then we made a quick quick little change. We had Dave Shane come on. We're going to push him back next to next week. And then uh, Pete Jensen from NHL Network will be on in the first half of the second hour. So good show today. Let's get it started. Start off quick. Um, our friend, assistant sports editor and writer at the Las Vegas Sun, Mr. Case Kiefer. In case we were just talking about the potential of Darren Waller and Denzel Perryman signing new deals. But when it's all said and done, I think to me, and this offense, it is the focus of them having success this year. And I think the signing of Hunter Renfro, that two-year deal for $32 million, that extension might be the key to their success. Because if you don't have an offensive line that is able to consistently protect Carr with Renfro in the lineup and on your team, that really helps out Carr and that offensive line. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the big question of the season is how good is this line going to be? Uh, I mean, you nailed it getting Renfro locked up uh, longer. I mean, Waller rightfully does want a new deal, but he's still got two years left on his contract. I don't really see that being an, an issue now. He, he's at camp. He was practicing. Um, you've got all the weapons. You've got all the uh, uh, sexy, I guess for lack of better word, skill players. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just going to be how it comes to 
comes together up front and if they can uh, give Derek Carr the protection to, to hit all these guys and uh, to make the offense reach its potential. And so talked about talk about them walking into camp, and I mean Waller and, and Perryman walking into camp first day and saying, hey, we, we want more money. And I understand the thought process of striking when the iron's hot, but the team and not necessarily the Raiders are kind of in a bad spot because when a player like that wants more money and they play well but aren't required to give anything back if they don't play well, I, I don't know if I've seen more any any other league where players have more leverage. And, and in Waller's case where he has two years left on his deal, I would think it's be a situation that is, you know, let's play out this year because that's what you agreed. When you're a year up against it, then we can start talking about it. Or if you want to sign an extension beforehand, that's fine. But the one thing I'm glad about, Case, is neither one of these guys are walking into camp saying, hey, I'm holding out if I don't get paid. Yeah, I mean, this is a huge year for uh, Darren Waller. And this has kind of been bubbling under the surface, even dating back to last year. I think going into camp, it was obvious how underpaid he was uh, at his position. But uh, he, he switched agents. I believe he's with uh, Clutch now. And so, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall that he was going to be asking uh, for more money at some point. He wanted to be paid what uh, he was valued at. Now, I, you know, last year he didn't have his best season. Uh, he, he was hurt a lot of it, um, struggled to stay on the field. So I think this year is just going to be huge. Uh, you know, if you subscribe to the contract year mentality, that guy's going to have a much bigger year during a contract year. This isn't technically a contract year, but this is going to be where he really sets his value to see uh, – you know, if the Raiders are going to give him that uh, really big long-term deal or, you know, if they even, you know, there's always been some rumors that that, that, that uh, other teams have been interested that have inquired about trading him. Maybe he gets it somewhere else. But if he lives up to what he did uh, two years ago and what he did immediately upon coming to the Raiders this year, he's going to get paid. Uh, no question about it. I, I think the Perryman one is a little more uh, complex just because he's coming off a career year. The best he's ever looked was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he probably also needs to prove he can do that another year and at a different defense. Uh, you know, on the surface, this defense doesn't set up quite as well as, as the one last year under uh, Gus Bradley did for him. Yeah, and that's interesting too. So, I mean, you walk in, you have two guys that are important to the team and their success, and they walk in day one to camp when the veterans report – and this is kind of their, you know, what they're walking in with. I mean, what does that do to the rest of the team? Or is it understood, hey, we want to win, but everybody's out here to make as much money as they can as well. And that's also part of the game is to walk in day one and say, hey, look, I, I think I deserve more money. Yeah, I really don't think, from what I can tell, uh, of course, we don't see everything, but I don't think it's making a big issue. I mean, when Derek Carr signed his extension, he made it very clear that uh, he tried to do some team-friendly things in there. I think he even mentioned Darren Waller by name, that he wanted to make sure uh, they could keep Darren. I, I think Waller's a, I mean, a team captain, a guy that's so respected. I don't think he's making any fuss. And then we haven't actually heard from him yet. He hasn't talked yet. But Denzel Perryman did talk yesterday. Uh, and as soon as it was brought up that he was seeking new money, he, he cut off the question. And I, I love Denzel Perryman. He said it in a, in a way it was funny to him. He goes, yeah, I, I was sweating up here because I knew this question was coming. He said, I have nothing to do with that. I'm letting my agent do it. All I care yeah. about is, uh, you know, getting better every day and playing football. And I actually believe him. That's what he's been like, you know, consistently. Sometimes guys say that and it's just lip service. I really do believe it's probably more coming from his agent. And I think he's uh, probably not all that focused on it at the moment. I'm sure that's true because 
them being in camp absolutely speaks volumes to where they are and their commitment to winning. So uh, maybe that's not what you want to hear day one, but you know that is part of the game, and it would be a lot different if those two guys decided to not show up, and that would that would definitely send a wrong message throughout the team. But I don't think two guys at at the right time, which is the start of camp, saying that they want more money, and of course it's an this didn't just start yesterday. I mean, this has been going on for a while, especially with Waller. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think that that's – I don't think anybody really bats an eye at that because everybody else would be – would do the same thing in that same position. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, there's there's probably – I mean, there's more players all around the league that are uh, in similar situations right now. It's just uh, these two guys, obviously big names for a franchise. It's big news right now and, uh, you know, had, had a big off season, so it came out and uh, – it's been a little talking point, but I agree with you. I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference or dissuade them from uh, doing what they're trying to do at training camp. As big as Hunter Renfro is for the Raiders offensively, I would think from a defensive standpoint, uh, Max Crosby is, you know, this is a guy that has to have a big year. And when you talk about one position, position affecting another, if you're not too sold on that Raider secondary, you really need a good pass rush, and that starts with Crosby. Yeah, for sure. We heard from him yesterday as well, and he just I think it might even be he's he, everyone loves him. They talked about how great he was last year, but I think he was even better than people realized. He was just such a game changer on every single play. Uh, led the league in pressures. He didn't have the sack total uh, that, that you might think for a player of his caliber. But if, if he can maintain what he did last year, that is a huge starting point. And yeah, the, the, the secondary is uh, you know it's one A one B biggest concerns right now between the offensive line and the secondary. Of course. Uh, Trayvon Mullen, who you figured would be one of the starting outside cornerbacks, was added to the uh, physically unable to perform list uh, the day before camp. So that puts them even thinner at secondary. The, the hope is he'll be back before the start of the season. Doesn't mean he has to miss any time. But, uh, yeah, right now there's a big onus up front. And uh, Max Crosby is the unquestioned leader up front, even with Chandler Jones coming in. And it's all going to start with him. And I, I think he welcomes that responsibility and that pressure. Yeah, is there any reason for concern? I mean, you have – uh, three starters essentially um, that are going to are on the pup list right now, and and Mullins and Hankins and Nichols. I mean, is there any reason for concern, or are they going to miss any games? Um, McDaniel's uh, the, coach McDaniel's this morning did made it sound like there was no real concern that he expected them all to come back. But uh, then again, what what else do you uh, expect him yeah, to say? Exactly. I think Mullen is. Yeah, Mullen is the one where, uh, you know, I, I, I would be a little hesitant to say for sure he'll be back. I, I think odds are all of them will be back at training camp at some point. But, um, I mean, he had a couple lingering injuries last year in his foot. And, you know, we know he had surgery in the off season, So mm-hmm. it's always an inexact science of how that uh, is progressing. We just haven't seen a whole lot of him. I, I, I do believe we don't even know what's really going on with Bilal Nichols. Um, Jonathan Hankins has kind of had a lingering back injury as well. But Mullen would be the one I'd watch, the one that I'd be most worried about knowing he's coming off of a surgery. We're talking to Case Kiefer, the assistant sports editor and writer at the Las Vegas Sun. And Case, John Simpson, I, I know he was part of the press conference yesterday too. And he said he's learned a lot from Josh McDaniel's staff. And I don't know if he elaborated on that or not. I didn't watch the whole thing. But did he say something specifically about what he learned? Or, or is it more about his seasoning as a, uh, as a left guard, you know, just kind of getting it a little bit more? <laughs> no, it's interesting you say that because I asked him that exactly. I think uh, I, I tried to get some details of what exactly, uh, you know, has been different about this staff, especially the offensive line staff with uh, Carmen Brasillo, uh 
the, the main head coach. But he, he didn't really say much. He just, you know, he mainly spoke about their energy. You know, last year they had Tom Cable, their uh, offensive line coach, who, uh, you know, everyone really liked and still speaks highly of. But, you know, he was more of a an older guy who rested on his, on his wisdom and kind of taught more like that. I think the new staff is a little more upbeat, um, you know, a little more energy. So I think that's the main thing uh, that they focused on, that it's just kind of been a new energy coming in. Uh, they, they didn't say anything bad about the the past staff, but, you know, they said that there's kind of a whole new uh, pace that's going on in the offensive line room, and uh, they're saying it's moving a little faster this year. And so, I don't know if you saw the deal yet, but it just broke that uh, Kyler Murray's going to make $230.5 million because that half matters at that point, a five-year extension. <laughs> I mean, what does that do for every other quarterback in the league? And, uh, you know, for Derek Carr, that says, wow. I mean, that's the that's the ceiling now? Okay. I, I If I'm Derek Carr, I'd say uh, I think I'm better. I, maybe I'm worth more. Uh, well, maybe Derek uh, Carr's kicking himself since he already had right. his extension and it wasn't quite at, at that level. But uh, he, he said he's happy with what he's gotten. And like I said earlier about the Darren Waller thing, he said that he claims he, he left money on the table that he could have pushed for more, but he wanted to have a better team around him. Um, I, I did see that deal come through. And, yes, certainly I think uh, we saw it with wide receivers, strangely, more than quarterbacks this offseason of how one deal could shoot the whole market out of whack and make things crazy. And uh, obviously quarterback's the next domino, and it's going to be – uh, even a higher degree of that now that we're, we're seeing some of these new deals down the line. It's just going to be record-breaking deal after record-breaking deal. Hey, I know it's not the it's not the Raiders, but I mean, what do you think ultimately is going to happen with this Deshaun Watson deal? I mean, they worked out Josh Rosen today. AJ McCarron uh, worked out as well. I mean, it is such a mess, and and of course the Browns are right in the middle of it right now. I mean, uh, yes, I know there was no uh, criminal charges, but. You know, if you're the Texans, I, I don't think that I settle if there's nothing to settle for. I mean, if I'm innocent of doing nothing, then there's no way that I'm settling with anybody. And now they ended up settling with 30 women. And I don't know how ultimately, and there's going to be a recommendation to the NFL and how that they should handle this, but do you think a year is right about where he should get? Um, well, as someone who months ago before, you know, thinking it would be like a year took a Ravens future to win the AFC North, I'm kind of hoping it's a year <laughs> selfishly from that. But I think now the writing seems to be more on the wall that I'm more expecting in the six to eight game range. Yeah. I just think if the year suspension comes down, I think that's going to be a big litigation battle and not sure that necessarily one the NFL could uh, hold on to. You know, maybe even that year number was leaked as kind of a, a starting negotiation point. Um, they never really expected that, but, but you know, this isn't speaking on, on the actions or I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know, uh, obviously, intimately what it's going to be. But to me, it seems like it's going to be in the six to eight games range if I had to bet on it right now. Yeah, we had Ari Miroff on from Pro, Pro Football Focus on earlier in the week, and he seemed to think that the NFL wanted, wants a year. And, and you know, and I, I think that that's fair. And the reason I think that's fair, and I agree with you, I, I think it's going to be more in that eight range. I, I don't, I'm not sure. And I guess the devil's in the details because it, we don't know exactly the details. We kind of know the, the fringe information about what happened. Uh, and I guess a lot of it has to do with how much blame that Deshaun Watson really you know, has to, to garner in all this versus – you know, how how was he convert, coerced? And after you get a reputation and you walk into a place, maybe they know what's going on. I, I don't know. But they seem to, to like a year. But I think you got you have to lay a punishment out there that is not only for Deshaun Watson, 
but for anybody else that's potentially in this situation down the road. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where the NFL has tripped up, and there's been a lot of controversy. Uh, you know, in the past, is this they've been so inconsistent with these suspensions. So I think that's what is still casting some doubt. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't protest it, it, it in any suspension. Just you know, taking the bias out of it, just for you know what what occurred. Um, it's just so hard to say when the NFL seems super case by case, and the people have no consistency of what they ultimately hand down. All right, so uh, Case, you're going to be knee deep in UNLV football this year. Uh, pr- probably not. Honestly, there's so many more sports now. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I wondered. Vegas, it's, it's been a few years since I've been covering much UNLV. Uh, still oversee a lot of it. We'll still, we'll still have a lot on LasVegasSun.com as an organization, but uh, I don't think I will be around too much. I've already do- dove into the Mountain West, though, so I, I know a little bit. I think I know just enough to be dangerous, but I won't be around <laughs> on an everyday or a game-by-game basis. Yeah, I mean, you. I know you were all in, but I mean, every year it seems like there's something else, and you guys can't be everywhere all, all the time. But I mean, from a UNLV perspective, just your your fringe thoughts about you know the potential of them moving on to another conference, and you know what do they have to show this year uh, to make themselves in an attractive option for for say a, a Pac-12. Yeah, they've just got to show some progress. I mean, they've been stuck in the mud uh, for so long, and especially the first two years of Marcus Arroyo's tenure have not gone according to plan at, at all. You think you'd hope they'd show a little bit more than uh, uh, what they have with the winless season two years ago. And then last year, they were a lot better. They lost some close games, but um, still not getting it done with, with the re- record-wise. And uh, they're going to need to do that this year. And you know, I, I actually think they have a chance to. I'm not calling for a bowl berth or anything, but if you look at that division of the Mountain West, it is. So weak. Uh, I mean, San Diego State uh, at, uh, at the top, and um, you, you know, beyond that, there's their division. I, I feel like they have a really weak schedule, and if they flip some of those close games that they lost last year, they could be decent this year. I think they just need to show some momentum. They're a uh, you know attractive piece in some other ways with Allegiant Stadium, you know, with the Las Vegas market, but they've got to show that they can be somewhat competitive, which just uh, hasn't really happened yet as far as wins and losses. I think these sort of things start out with game one case you cannot lose and i don't care what they've done on another level you can't lose to eastern washington you cannot lose to howard i mean these are games that you must win like it's a given that you're going to win these games and then when that begins to be a given that's when you turn that your season around but or your your fran your, yeah your franchise your your football team around but when you lose in double overtime to eastern washington at home uh, you know, christening the basically christening the new sta- stadium w- with fans. I mean, you just already send a message to the rest of the team, and there's already a black cloud that's you know, hovering over your team. So, you know, I mean, this season, I think within the first, you know, what two or three games, I think you take a step back after that and you say, okay, where are we at this point? And, and if they're 0 and 3, I, I just. I don't know when I think apathy has to stop as far as giving UNLV football a pass. If they play Idaho, when they play Idaho State or play North Texas, and maybe, you know, maybe they lose to Cal, but if they don't come out of this at least with one win, I think that's incredibly disappointing. Yeah, and they've been so untrustworthy in the, in the FCS game specifically. You mentioned a few of them, and I know they also lost to. Uh, Northern Arizona and Southern Utah within the last decade. I mean, they're like 500 in FCS games when the Howard one was uh, the worst ever. And that's stretching three coaching uh, spans right there, just all the names we mentioned. And, yeah, I think that is a good starting point. I agree. I mean, you're not going to 
you shouldn't be expected to go out there and beat Fresno State, who, who was the other school on the tip of my tongue. I couldn't spit it out that question ago, but, you know, Fresno State, San Diego State, they've separated themselves as teams you're going to play uh, every year that are just way better than you. But, um, you know, some of those out-of-conference games and especially the FCS games, you just have to win. Well, Case, we always appreciate your time and your insight. Tell everyone what you're up to at the sum, and, and I assume it's going to be more more Raiders online for you. Yeah, a whole lot of uh, Raiders out here at training camp uh, for the foreseeable future now at LasVegasSun.com. Uh, now, I know it's uh, Sportsbook Radio, so we're really uh, amping up all the, the gambling stuff. I'm almost done with all my uh, football numbers that I've run and stuff. We'll start having a lot of that up. And UNLV, everything else you could want as well. Even if I'm not writing, it'll be at LasVegasSun.com. So, hey, uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, no problem, Case. Hey, do, do the Raiders, you know, are they giving you a, a spot or where you can actually see practice, or are you watching from St. Rose Parkway? I mean, where – where, where do they uh, yeah, have Mc, you? Mc, McDaniel's a little stricter than uh, Gruden. Yeah, Bacchia, a little bit. So we're, we're, we're somewhat close. I was really close to the receivers today. I saw a lot of uh, receiver work. But it seems like the areas people really want to watch, they put as far away as possible. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll navigate that as training camp goes. Well, I appreciate your time, Case. All the best, and we'll talk with you down the road. All right, thanks a lot. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Ryan Butler, who covers sports betting legislation and gaming for iGaming Next, will join us. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to StationCasinoSports.com or sign up at any Station Casino or Wildfire. Complete details available at all sportsbooks. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HD TVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Dakota. Experience the thrill of the grill. John Smith Subs is home of the famous Steak Bomb and other premium deli subs with grilled-to-order marinated sirloin steak, grilled chicken, farm fresh veggies, and delicious bread baked daily. Our subs are making a name for themselves with quality and flavor. Add an order of piping hot french fries and you have a meal you can't get anyplace else. Experience the thrill of the grill at John Smith Subs. Visit johnsmithsubs.com to find a location near you. Hey Golden Knights fans, I'm attorney Adam Kuttner. I'm proud to be an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. We're giving you the chance to play at home along with the Golden Knights to win home game tickets through our power play giveaway. Each time the Golden Knights are on a power play, we'll pick one of my Twitter followers who tags me on Twitter with the hashtag Adam Kuttner Power Play. And when the Golden Knights score, that lucky fan wins tickets to the Fortress. So make sure to follow me on Twitter. Go Knights, go! Calling all Vegas Golden Knights super fans for the Terribles game day giveaway. During all of Vegas Golden Knights home games, visit any participating Terribles location, make a qualifying purchase, get a scratch card, enter on the Terribles app, and you could win a $1,000 Golden Knights shopping spree. Best yet, one lucky customer will win this prize every day the Vegas Golden Knights have a home game. 
Terrible's Game Day Giveaway. It's only at Terrible's. Visit Terrible's.com for more details. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Decatur. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to stationcasinosports.com or sign up at any station casino or wildfire. Complete details available at all sports books. Can't take it anymore. All right, welcome back to Sportsbook Radio from the Brian Blessing Studio, brought to you by Station Casinos and the STN app. Chris the Moose Johnson, I'm Dana Lane. Thanks for joining us. Chris, what, is this, who is this? You don't know this? Oh, hold on. Hold, hold on. on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't know this? Hold on a second. Now, this is somebody I should know? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Hold on. I almost got it. Is it, is it like Run DMC? Fat Boys? Something like that? It's Beastie Boys. Beastie Boys? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, what's so funny? I, I've never expected someone to not know this song. This is, like, one of the most iconic... Do you iconic think you got Beastie Boys, like, on... Uh, this is, like, a my super iconic song. This is played at this is played at the UNLV is, hockey games. This is not. Oh, this is played at hockey yeah. games. No, this I is love, played at hockey games. Yeah, so is Miley Cyrus, and <laughs> you think I'm listening to... What's going on at UNLV hockey games? I think I'm listening to the music. Every time I hear a song at one of their games, I'm like, oh, this is a great song. And then 30 seconds later, it turns into a dance mix. Oh, I wasn't I'm like, how can that. Back in Black be a dance mix? Wow. I was. That's, that's so Almost, crazy. huh? If you played Sabotage, I would know that. Probably. My favorite yeah. Beastie Boys song. Sabotage. I could, yeah, I would have, you would have gotten that That's one. a great tune. All right. let's. Uh, and, and you know... I am surprised because I'm not surprised because, you know, you would have to yeah. dig in a little bit on this. But 35 years ago today, you know what record was released? One of the greatest of all Brain, time. Brain's not working right now. No, you wouldn't You're get it anyway. Get me. Nope. You're just pretending to think. No, I am thinking actually. Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses was released on this day 35 years would've ago. Would have never gotten that. I know. <laughs> it definitely. One of the one or two records that defined the 80s. Yeah. It, it was Appetite and Hysteria. That, that's, you know, take your pick. That is very true. I pick Hysteria. Okay. Uh, let's let's welcome in Ryan Butler, who just went over 9,000 followers on Twitter. Ryan, your legend continues to grow. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. And, <laughs> man, you, you really didn't know that was the Beastie Boys? Uh, how is oh, that possible? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, man. All right, well, thanks for joining us, Ryan. 
Hey, listen. You started to be off so nicely, but I mean, intergalactic? Everyone knows that. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Right. I mean, okay. So, So outside of... You know, welcome to the jungle in Paradise City. Can, can you go deep on appetite? Like, can you sing uh, My Michelle it? to me? I see. So, actually, 35 years, and I'm going to age myself here. That actually came out before I was born. So, <laughs> I don't know the deep cuts I was on uh, that album. But what is it? it's um, uh, Mr. Brown, right? Mr. Or, like, that's one of the other songs on there. Mr. Brownstone, yep. <laughs> Mr. Brownstone. Um, is November Rain on that one, or is that November? Later? November Rain is not on that one. That's uh, um, on we one said of the Sweet, Illusion Records. Uh, and we said Sweet Child of Mine. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, that's that's what I got. No, no, one. that's okay. That's good. That's good. It's just, and I feel bad because I should know that, and I do like the Beastie Boys. It's they are one of those bands that kind of they dip a toe. Like they're they're kind they're rock, but at the same time they're rap, and you know it's kind of I they're I hold them in higher esteem than say a kid rock, but kind of in that same same I don't know that same bubble. Like I'm not much, putting much them, higher esteem in, much higher esteem in kid rock. Yeah, yeah. kid rock kind of you know. But when kid rock like redneck like trash rock, trash rock like divorced dad rock. Yeah, yeah exactly. like a, a certain type of divorced dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the one who has you know possum heads on his uh, on his wall. All right, uh, Ryan, talk about you want to talk about your nine thousand followers. I mean, it, it's did you were you staring at your Twitter feed when that happened, or have you been yeah, over nine thousand and then went back? This is one of the few. <laughs> This is one of the few things that is uh, – you could need to uh, go away from talking about music, talking about myself. This is great. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's good. I feel like um, I'm hoping to get towards 10,000, and I feel like you go, you know, um, someone comes in. Maybe it's going to be Elon Musk now mm-hmm. buying it or whatever, and they come in and give you a certificate or something, or like there's a fireworks or parade or something. So I, I feel like once I get to 10,000, you know, everything about my life is just going to be perfect. I, I think that's, that's it. So that, that's really the big one I'm looking at. Hopefully next time on, we can talk about how great my life is after reaching 10,000. <laughs> it is quite the milestone. I mean, the, the parties are endless. And, and now, of course, with Elon Musk involved, I'm sure that you will get the best of the best. At Ryan, let's... Well, yeah, like, what, so... Go ahead, buddy. You go around, I mean, you, you know what it's like, but I'm assuming that when you're in Vegas, you go to the VIP line, sure. like, oh, 10,000, please, yeah. sir, go ahead. Any club, any restaurant, anywhere you want, you know, everyone just moves. And, oh, it's got, you hear that? It's got 10,000. I mean, that, that's the mm-hmm. lifestyle I really wanted to lead. That's why I got into this business, honestly. Well, I, and, and to expound on that, I, I took that, the, the amount of followers that I have, which I've, I've begged for every one of them, and I went to the movies last week, and they, you know, I wanted to see Thor, and they said, well, sir, not, you know, not with 13,000 followers, but we'll get you into, you know, where the crawdads sing, so I, you know, was in the back row in the corner, and that's that's what I got for that, but hey, that was free, and, um, you know, I mean, begging begging does work, so keep, keep at it. I wanted to ask you about the Las Vegas Sands Corporation, who used to own the Venetian and Palazzo here, but Currently, to my knowledge, they don't have any U.S.-based casinos. Are, are they still a player in, in the casino business? Definitely. And, again, they're, they're huge. Their whole focus went um, – a couple of years ago back, they went wanted to go, we're going to go all Asia. And, understandably, Asia is a much bigger market, uh, both uh, – especially Macau, obviously, is the biggest single market in the world. But Singapore has been really, really good for them. They have an iconic – 
truly just, uh, you know, one of the world's most incredible <laughs> venues, regardless of casino or otherwise, um, in Singapore. So that was their whole focus. And then the pandemic comes. It has disproportionately hurt uh, the Asian markets. And now even in Macau, even as recently as this week, they're doing, you know, full shutdowns again. And they're kind of opening up to 50 percent, but they're still dealing with that. The Chinese government has been really restricted. So it's really been a mess. It's, it's interesting that they kind of had already had that macro level pivot away from the U.S. to Asia only. And now Asia has been really tough. They are optimistic, you know, at least publicly, obviously, that's going to get better. They're going to get back to everything they're going. Travel's not going to be restricted. The casinos are going to be open and all that. But I think it does kind of open their eyes. They realize, wow, so we went all in on, on Asia. That does create problems when there is situations like this, a pandemic that has been much more tightly cracked down on in Asia than it is the U.S. So they have, without being specific, right now, again, their focus is trying to get that up and running again. But they are definitely players in a couple other major U.S. markets. Obviously, as you said, they left Las Vegas, despite their name being Las Vegas Sands, but they are very interested in New York. There's one kind of big license that they have a shot at in, in downstate New York. Could be, you know, who knows, but there's rumors that it could be um, in Times Square. There's rumors it could be Rikers Island, but it could be really close to sort of the urban core of New York City. That's a big one. Also, Texas. They've been very, very aggressive, and, and Texas would be a huge, huge market. There is really no major casino gaming options in uh, metropolitan Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, San Antonio, Austin. Uh, there is obviously big casinos uh, right on the Oklahoma border that do very well, but having one in the metro Dallas, Fort Worth, metro Houston would be really, really big. So they've been lobbying extensively. They're gearing up uh, for next year's legislative session in Texas to do it again. Uh, they also looked into Jacksonville, Florida, which is a little tougher. Uh, that is Seminole Land, and that is uh, Disney World, and they do not want uh, sands there. So that's going to be a harder battle. But anyway, long-winded. There's a lot of uh, pieces moving around there. Sands is very interested in the U.S. market still, but it's going to be a while uh, just with logistics, and they're very focused on Asia right now. All right, what does it sound like they're no longer involved or, or interested in the Las Vegas market? Yeah, it's just I think part of the Las Vegas market is just the competition, and it does make it a little bit harder uh, to, to be successful there. Their whole idea, and they reiterated it again yesterday on their phone call, is they want to sort of be a ground-up, every square inch, luxury, elite, full control, and they sort of want to dominate whatever market they're in. Their idea is that they don't want to be a, a big player in a big pond. They want to be the only player um, in a certain pond. So that's why you see, hmm. you look at New York, where uh, there's two others. MGM has a property. Uh, this kind of like a quasi-casino, for lack of a better term. It's not a full-scale casino, uh, but they have a, a property there that's probably going to get a New York license. And then Resorts World has a property in the New York metro, New York City metro area that will probably get a license. So there's only three. The third one is up for grabs. Every single company uh, you know, you can think of wants to be a part of that one. And it stands very much. If they got a great location, a good spot, they could kind of build up this property and then really dominate New York City. Same deal with Texas, where they're hoping to be the first, in, in their perspective, only in a major high-population area. So that's kind of their philosophy, their Las Vegas. Right now, Las Vegas, is, is, is the strip at least, is dominated by MGM and Caesars. MGM basically has the whole southern third. Caesars basically has the full central third. And then you've got a couple other big company names uh, coming up there. Obviously, there's going to be some development in the northern end. You're seeing, again, Resorts World just opened up the Fountain Blue, Drew, whatever it's calling itself now, is finally trying to do something, getting on going there. So I think that's just part of their strategy is, you know what, why not dominate 
or be the big player in some of these other markets instead of being one of many in Las Vegas. It's interesting that you you bring up the strip and you know how MGM and Caesars has dominated. But yesterday we saw that Station Casinos announced that they are buying some land that is um, uh, what south of the strip, uh, out past Mandalay Bay. That's south, and you know that's interesting because that's where the new arena slash entertainment district is, is supposed to go and. You know, that to me, if you're kind of reading the tea leaves, is telling me, hey, they really think this thing is going to go and they want to be part of it when it does. Yeah, and it's kind of exciting, too, especially for you guys there in Vegas. It, the north side has been really kind of a talk where finally we're revitalizing it. They're getting some stuff going now. But now in the future, uh, 10 years from now, the southern strip could look very, very different than what we know now. It could be expanding even further past Terry Reed Airport and all that. Um, on top of what you just said, obviously Stations is looking there, potentially an NBA franchise stadium there. We also have Bally's, uh, which bought Tropicana, which is going to be interesting as well. If they kind of uh, update that, maybe they want to do you know something big there. So south of uh, you know the southern end of the strip could really be a big, uh, exciting new area as well. So exciting, you know, a lot going on um, on all parts of it. Um, you know, no Las Vegas fans there, but yeah, our friend Station, obviously with the big news of kind of getting rid of those smaller, uh, you know, let's say what local casinos, however you phrase it. And again, maybe they're going to be one of those players too on a revitalized or a brand new southern end of the strip. So a lot going on. And of course, they're building a property off of uh, 215 in Durango right now as well that won't be as big as Red Rock, but uh, certainly a you know a, a family or a um, you know a quick neighborhood uh, casino, nice little casino. And I really enjoy uh, Station Casinos not just because of the sponsors. We go up to Red Rock all the time, so uh, I welcome that closer to my house. You know, let's go back a little bit and talk about Macau. And you were talking about some of the restrictions that are still there are going backwards to say 50 percent i mean boy they seemed like they were the most restricted or or strict i should say uh, when it came to covid i mean they they got on it quick um obviously they allowed it was allowed to get out of the country and infected the whole world but Boy, they're still struggling with it, and we're still walking around without masks. I mean, do you have any insight as to what is going on over there as to why they can't get a handle on this? And well, it's more so, and again, this, this is diving a little bit outside my policy expertise. Yeah, no, area. I understand. Yeah, just opinion. Uh, but so China's policy is what they're calling zero COVID. So they have taken, because of the Chinese government and how it basically is able to control every facet of, of life and the way they're structured, they're communist country, uh, they have decided that we are going to aggressively shut down any sort of outbreak. And that includes just, you know, complete shutdowns of the economy, stuff like that. So again, while we maybe had, uh, depending on where you lived, I live in Florida, our shutdown wasn't very long. Depending on where you lived, you know, we maybe had a few weeks or a few months or, or what have you. China kind of intermittently when they see something, there were, uh, I believe in Shanghai, uh, Beijing, at different times in the past two years, they will come in and just shut down a city. And that is, again, their approach. Now, again, I can't necessarily talk about it. Obviously, there's – or, you know, to make a, a truly articulate uh, idea about the strategy with the merits of it. But from a gaming perspective, yeah, that really sucks, especially for U.S. operators. Most of the big players in Macau have U.S. ties. They're, the three biggest ones are um, Sands, Win, and MGM. And, yeah, this is really awful for them from a revenue perspective. But you can see, obviously, the impacts from a much larger perspective, too, mm -hmm. to yeah. have these shutdowns for your cities. These are, these are 
you know, metro areas that are larger than, you know, Macau is bigger than Las Vegas. Uh, China, uh, Shanghai, Beijing are significantly larger than Los Angeles or New York. It's pretty incredible that, that cities of 20, 30 million people are, are basically shut down, and it could be, you know, for weeks at a time, and it's ongoing. So, you know, again, it's very frustrating. It ties back to from what I can tell from the gaming perspective. Yeah, Sands is, of course, and then they're being polite publicly, and they have to, to play nice to the Chinese government. But, of course, they're livid with this idea that, man, at any one point there could be uh, again, all COVID cases are it's, you know, awesome and things lately, but you get a few dozen uh, COVID cases and the Chinese government might just come in and say, you're done, uh, no casinos for three weeks or what have you. Whereas in the U.S., obviously, that's not going to happen. And politically and, and all that, we're, we're really pretty much, you know, set sail. And again, Las Vegas, uh, especially when you've got elections coming up here uh, with the Nevada government, it's going to be very, very competitive in Nevada for every seat there. They're not going to shut down Las Vegas again. That would just be politically and economically just unsustainable. So, again, it's very frustrating when you have an even bigger market like Macau, and they are shutting it down now, and there could be more shutdowns in the future. Who knows? Well, let's get closer to home. We touched on on this show the battle for the dollar in California a little bit earlier this week between the state and the Indian tribes, and I guess they're going to vote on it in November, and it really just comes down to are the Indian tribes going to have full – um, are they going to be the only ones to have sports gambling? And I guess they're going to have them at their racetracks only. Um, or is California and all these companies able to come in? And you know, are they able to be uh, do business inside the state of California? Now, the the caveat to this, Ryan, is even if say you know FanDuel and all these other companies can come in and do business in California they still are paying a hefty price to the Indian tribe. So it's really a win-win for them, isn't it? In a way, obviously, there's a, the, the, the tribes are backing this retail-only measure because they, they see it. They're also really worried. Again, so much of sports betting and, and it, big companies are coming out more aggressively and saying this, honestly, that sports betting, online sports betting, is a way to get to online casino gaming. The tribes fear online casino gaming in California as an existential threat to their livelihood, and that is not an exaggeration. They directly feel that this could, for many of them, these, these retail casinos are their bread. This is their livelihood. This is so important to, to keeping the tribe and their people, their, their nation, alive. So there's a great fear about what the statewide mobile sports betting run by commercial gaming could do to them long term. Now, again, we'll see if those fears come out. We'll see if they can even get this online sports betting ballot, sports betting ballot measure passed. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a win-win. There will be some benefits to uh, the tribes here. But even then, again, sports betting is a, a relatively low-margin industry. There's only going to be so much that goes to it. Of, of the revenues uh, or the taxes that are going to the state of California, should the, the uh, commercial operator uh, measure pass, 85% of it is going to homelessness and mental health prevention causes, with only about 15% going to uh, tribes that don't operate uh, gaming facilities and all that. So that's going to be a small portion overall. You know, it's California. It could theoretically, if this passes, there's a, there's a, you know, a scenario where uh, the state gets uh, close to a billion dollars in tax revenue for all these good causes, which is a wonderful thing. But you keep in mind California's budget, which is several hundred billion dollars, and it's just a drop in the bucket overall. So we always have to keep that in mind. It's both a lot of money and a little bit of money. So, yeah, you know, it's what's – though it might – there is some kind of – you know, even if the online only one passes and the tribal-backed retail one doesn't, it's still not going to be some major economic boom for the tribes in that scenario.
But don't if a company comes into California, don't they have to pay you know a licensing? Uh, I guess more specifically, a licensing fee, which is quite a bit, and then a portion of that goes to the tribes. Did I read that wrong? Um, you could be right about that. It's a hundred million dollars. That's exactly for licensing right. Fee. Yes. So that, but again, that's let's say again. If I, I'm not sure if it is, but if it's the 85-15 percent split, like it is elsewise, that's you know that's 15 million times, and then you'll have probably no more than 10 operators. So that's 100. That's going to be cost prohibitive, and that was the design. Drafting FanDuel and BetMGM do not want anybody else in. So that's why they set that that rate so high. Mm-hmm. But so let's say you get 10 companies in, which would be aggressive. That's 15 times 10. That's 150 million dollars, which again isn't nothing but it's a, a small drop in the bucket overall so compared to let's say they get 150 million dollars just from that and let's say they get other money and all that but, but if long term they get the uh, these companies that their online casino what if there is a far larger drop in in-person casino attendance again it's far too early to tell what that looks like or anything with it but that is the fear is that this or this money that might come initially will not pan out compared to long-term losses if people aren't going to their casinos. And how do you, I mean, what's your personal feeling on how it's going to work out? I mean, I know it's a, it's going to be a fight, and they're going to spend a lot of, each side's going to spend a lot of money, you know, trying to win the, the, the hearts and the minds of the voters. I mean, how do you think it's going to play out? Yeah, my, per, my personal thought, and I'm a delusional optimist, is that they'll both pass, but people smarter than me say that they're both going to fail. Uh, they're going to end up either sabotaging each other or they're just not going to, you know, it's just going to be too complicated or, or, you know, everything with it. So there's a lot of pessimism from a lot of people in the industry, uh, but we'll just, we'll see. I'm hoping to get out to the West Coast and kind of see it for myself sometime this fall. A lot of it is going to be the advertising and how it's presented. I think I've said this on this show before, but it's like in uh, Arkansas, conservative state, they got sports betting passed because they just, everything was around roads. Legalized casinos and sports books, and this is going to help roads. And they did, they kind of just mentioned sports, you know, sports betting at the very end, like when it's like one of those drug commercials where they talk really, really fast and don't even know what's going on with it. <laughs> and so they'll die. They, had, they also had they had no opposition either. Everyone, it was just you want better roads. Though yes, on four that means better roads. Semantics. In California, you have two ballot measures, 26 and 27, which will be phrased that way. And then one is presented as the campaign to prevent homelessness, and then one of them is. Uh, campaign to help uh, tribal governments and all that. So you have those two positive things, which neither of which are necessarily directly tied to sports betting. Yeah. Then you have both of those are going to go negative against each other, where the tribes are going to say, keep out commercial operators that aren't generating money for the states and are going to hurt our government. Whereas, and then uh, you're going to have the, the DraftKings and FanDuel one and attack the tribal one in probably some way. So people aren't going to really understand what they're voting for, which is just a frustrating reality with ballot measures in California and across the country. Colorado had a similar thing where it had to be phrased as a tax and people got really confused. Uh, it barely passed. So, again, if it was just simply yes, no, do you want online sports betting? Do you want DraftKings, FanDuel, whoever in, in the state? Do you want retail sports books? If it was just yes, no, like that on the ballot, both would pass. But they're not going to be phrased that way. They're going to be very confusing. They're going to be shaped by hundreds or you know tens of millions, more than $100 million 
for both the yes and no campaigns on both sides. People are not going to know what to do. They're going to see their ballots and they're going to say, why are there, if they do read them closely, they're going to go, why are there two different measures? They're not going to know what it means. They're not going to go with, on with it. And a lot of times people are just going to vote no because they don't know what they're voting for. So that is why it makes it a lot harder. Again, if it was simple yes, no, I think it would have passed two-thirds to one-third. But it's just not going to be presented that way. Which is why simplified billboards are so important because it's simple. You know, I mean, they try to simplify it as, as easily as they can so people understand both measures. But uh, it's and, and it happens everywhere. It's not just in California. I mean, right. we, we legalize marijuana on the back of hey, we're going to give money to schools, and to this date, I don't know if they've received a cent. Um, last, sure, absolutely. Uh, last question for you, Ryan. You, you were at the SBC conference, I'm assuming? I was, yep. Uh, what was your takeaway, and, and was there something suggested? I've heard some things, but was there something that was suggested for the future of sports wagering that just blew your mind that you thought, wow, that would be cool? Uh, maybe uh, the second question, nothing too, too crazy about the future that would really change things there. You know, there's talks about further integrating your personal bets into broadcast and stuff like that, which is kind of interesting. You know, the further uh, combination of, of uh, watching on TV and your phone and all that. So we'll see, but that tech is a while away. Uh, my biggest takeaway from SBC is that it was absolutely packed, and that is a great sign. Uh, we had a conference similarly in December, which had been postponed and rearranged uh, because of the coronavirus. European attendees were starting to come back. Now there really are no travel restrictions from Western Europe to the U.S. There's not necessarily the same vaccine or, or COVID testing requirements and restrictions. So, so much of the gaming industry in the U.S. is still shaped and, and dictated by Europe. It's a very important part of the tech and everything that goes with it. So. There's a huge European audience that comes to these FCC conferences that love coming to New York uh, and all that. And I think we finally got that in full capacity. We got the U.S. audience pretty much ready to travel as well. So that was a really, really good sign. It was great. That was my. That was the first conference that I go, okay, we're 100% back. Everything's good to go. It was about its usual time of the year. So good sign there. And, I'm, again, I'm very hopeful. Obviously, our, our, over in Shanghai. Excuse me, in Macau over in Asia, they are still, their policies are very different. But in the U.S., it seems that we are now getting everything back to normal as best as possible in this new reality, and that's a very good sign. Do you like the integration of wagering uh, when the announcers talk about it uh, on uh, during, during games? And I ask this question because there's a part of me that doesn't like it. And the reason I say that is when they try to elaborate uh, you see a lot of DraftKings ads, you know, during games. Uh, they talk about in-game wagering quite a bit, but when they try to elaborate on it, I can tell they don't know. They're just not educated on what they're looking at, and you know, not all the times, but sometimes it's a little cringy. And and there is also a part of me that that likes that separation between, hey, this is a straight-ahead broadcast. I got some money on it, but we don't need to talk about it. I just need to, to move forward, and I don't need to get you certainly get your opinion on what you think is going to happen either moving forward. Every single platform now has their subsidiary. So NBC has Peacock. CBS has whatever. You know, they all have their own. Uh, CBS is Paramount. They all have their own with it. I want to see very little sports betting talk on the traditional broadcast. But yes. I think all of these companies should yes. pursue only sports betting broadcasts on these, you know, these online streaming platforms. I think that's a really good idea. It's a way to get a different audience, a way to get people attracted. And on those subsidiaries, on the streaming platforms, not the main ones, 
I think they should have live odds with their partner, seriously, all times. I think both from a corporate perspective, that's interesting. All of us like to go and look at live odds and maybe a team we're watching or whatever and go, whoa, 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 those odds are way off. I want to play for live bet. It adds to part of the fun. Hire people for those broadcasts who are betters, who know specifically what the audience is, and approach it solely through a betting perspective. Keep it segregated, keep it very separate, but I think that's what these companies should pursue, and I think the cost-benefit is tremendous there if they do. I don't think it would be that hard to create a, you know, a second platform, and I think you're going to get a lot of interest from the betters. But yes, I don't think your traditional yeah. Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC should have much sports betting content, but pursue uh, alternate broadcasts that do. I, I guess specifically, Ryan, I, I don't need Troy Aikman giving me what he thinks about it. I, I don't want to hear Joe right. Buck talk about it. I, I, I want guys that I know, like when ESPN has separate shows just dedicated to gaming, great because I know all those guys on there. I know they've been involved in gaming, and this is, what, this is really where they came from. What I don't want is broadcasters pretending to be a gaming analysts. I think that that's where it kind of rubs me wrong inside. I absolutely agree. I you know, Troy sometimes struggles with just the NFL. I think this is, it's harder when you get him to talk about NFL betting. So 100% agree with it. But I think they should pursue, again, separate, uh, completely independent of the traditional process, to put these guys who are in the gaming industry having a, an alternate stream on Peacock, ESPN+, Plus, Paramount, what have you, and do it that way, and then keep the traditional broadcast the way it is. I like that a lot. Ryan, talk about where everybody can find your work, what you're up to now. You're very active on Twitter. Uh, what's, your, what's your next focus? Yeah, at Butler Bets, easy enough to remember. Come follow me on Twitter there as I try to get to the 10,000 club and all the riches <laughs> and glory that come with it. Sure. Uh, but also, yeah, I'm with iGaming Next now, another company where I'll be doing the exact same thing. Uh, gaming stocks, uh, rules, legislation, policy. When is the sports book coming to your state? What's going on in the state houses? What's going on with legislatures? What's going on with all that? So same stuff, same content. And uh, please yeah, come join us. Follow us at Butler Bets on Twitter or iGamingNext.com, and you'll see all of my uh, content there. We will watch the legend grow, Ryan. Thank you so much for joining us. That does it for Sportsbook Radio. Let's resurface the ice, come back with Vegas Hockey Hotline. First up, Pete Jensen from the NHL Network will join the show. 